We're continuing our five-part series entitled The Kingdom of Heaven. This is part four of that series in which we are exploring not what we want to think about heaven, not what popular culture has told us about heaven, but what does the Bible have to tell us about heaven? Last week we looked at Revelation 21 and we saw how all of the promises of the eternal kingdom of heaven, all of the realities of the future promise of heaven, how they satisfy all of our current, present, earthly longings and desires today. It is the future promise of heaven that satisfies our restless souls for something more, for something more beautiful, for something greater, for something more glorious. But today I want to get even more specific and I want us to look at Revelation 22 because it's in Revelation 22 that gives us this incredible picture that helps to further answer the question, what will heaven be like? What will the experience be? How will I know what it will, what I will see and what I will experience and, and what my eyes will behold? So Revelation 22, at the end of the scriptures, we find not only the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, but we find the very last words of the entire Bible. But not only do we see the end of the story in Revelation 22, we see the very end of human history. And what could be more important than how it all ends? So Revelation 22, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and then skip over to verse 14. But this is the word of God. These are the last words spoken to us through the Holy Spirit, recorded through the Apostle John and his revelation from heaven concerning what the experience will be for all those who are in Christ, experiencing the new heaven and the new earth in this eternal kingdom. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they might enter the city by its gates. And the grass withers and the flower fades. For the word of our Lord here in Revelation 22, it stands forever. Amen. Have you ever wondered what things you might do differently the second time around? 
Do you ever wonder how things might have turned out differently in life? Have you ever thought about your life and thought, man, I wish I could have a do-over. I wish I could just do it over again. You see, all of us in big ways and small ways, all of us, if we're honest, live our lives with deep sense of regret. And often we ponder, what would it have been like if I made this decision instead of that decision? What would have happened if I maybe didn't break that relationship? Maybe what would have happened in my life if, if I actually pursued the dreams and desires that were in me 20, 30 years ago? I wonder what life would have been like if, remember that bucket list 30 years ago? What if that bucket list went unchecked? What if there was painful memories in my life that I could just go back and somehow erase? You and I, if we're honest with each other, live our lives with a bunch of what-ifs every single day. But here's the great news. The great news for those that are in Christ is that the promise of the kingdom of heaven, as we read it here in Revelation 22, means the end of bucket lists. The great news for those that are in Christ, according to the promise of the kingdom of heaven, means the end of what ifs. It means the end of, I wonder if I could go back and do this over again. Because the glorious promise of the kingdom of heaven that we've been building up to in the past few weeks is not to just ponder what will heaven be like, but what will earth be like when it's full of the glory of heaven You see, the promise that we see in Revelation 21 and 22 concerning the destination for those that are in Christ is not that God one day will create a new people and create a new universe, but the promise of heaven is that he will take all of us redeemed in Christ, transform us and renew us, and bring us into the creation that he established thousands of years ago, but make it all new into the eternal kingdom of God and of heaven. You see, heaven is the promise that God intends to fully restore humanity and creation into its original design and purpose. We not we do not have to ask the question just what will heaven be like, but what will earth be like, full of the glory of heaven forever. So what are the three things that we can take away from this passage here concerning what heaven will be like? Three things we see here in Revelation 22. The first thing that we see about what heaven will be like is that it will be paradise regained. In verses 1 and through 3 in Revelation 22, we see a picture of what we ultimately lost in the Garden of Eden. 
You see, we see here described a city in the midst of the kingdom of heaven. And it is paradise regained. It is the paradise that we lost thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden. It is paradise restored. It is paradise regained. You see, we see here not only a city, but we see a garden city. Why is it a garden city? Because it is a city, and in the midst of the city is life and people and a tree and rivers. You see, in, in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, we see the original garden of Eden, and this is what it, we are told. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And what was there in the garden? A tree of life. It's the tree of life that we just read about in Revelation 22. It's the tree of life that we had in the garden. And in the midst of the garden was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But not only was there a tree of life, but in verse 10, a river that flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. We see a river here in Revelation 22. And so what John is recording here in this vision in Revelation 22 is, and it should be jumping off at the pages to you, is this is Eden. You mean Eden is not lost? You mean paradise is not lost forever? You see, if we ever wanted to understand what will heaven be like, we just have to go to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 and read about the paradise that God created for us that was ultimately lost because of the fall. And that will tell us everything we need to know and understand. You see, as I said in the beginning, God in the picture and the promise of heaven is not destroying humanity and destroying creation, but the promise of heaven is the full restoration of creation, the full restoration of what was lost in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. You see, heaven will be the redemption of Eden, and that is what we are seeing here in Revelation 22, but not only a garden, but a garden city. God started with a garden at the beginning of history and he ends with a city, a garden city. You see, not only it will be at the restoration of Eden and the restoration of paradise, but it will be an even statelier Eden, an even greater Eden, started in a garden and ends in a garden city. Last week, we talked about the importance of a city that we see both in Revelation 21 and 22, that right in the middle of the heaven that you and I will experience in Christ will be an eternal city, the city of God. And remember last week we established, what does a city mean? The same thing it means today is the same way they interpreted it 2,000 years ago when they received this word. A city is defined by a dense population of people with buildings and infrastructure and levels of administration. And so what we see here in Revelation 22 again is we see a city full of people, full of life. But what's great about this city? What's important about this city? It says in verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, 
You see, one of the number one reasons people move out of big cities today is why? Because of all the brokenness, overpopulation, brokenness, crime, broken infrastructure. That's why we have a mass exodus into the suburbs and into the rural communities, right? But here, what is the glorious promise of this city? That all the people are moving back in. Why? Because there's no longer anything accursed in it. Could you imagine that city? A city where there, it is impossible to sin. A city absent of all brokenness. A city absent of anything accursed. Where everyone is moving back into the city. A city that is once again full of life and full of people. That is the city. That is the paradise that is regained. Begins in a garden and it ends in a city. But what else is in this city? In verse 1, we read that in this city is a river. It's a city that has a river. A river running through it. It says running through the middle of the street of the city. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. He calls it the river of the water of life. It means that this water is full of life. And it's in uh, the Old Testament that we read in Ezekiel. We read of a river that will eventually come from the temple, from the throne of God, that is full of life. Full of life-giving water that will bring dead things to life. That will bring the, that will bring the healing to the nations. And this is the river that was promised back in Ezekiel. This is the river that ultimately flows from the throne of God. This is the river that was lost in the Garden of Eden. The river of life. Remember it was in John chapter 4 that Jesus looks at the woman of the well and says, Woman, you are thirsty, but I give you water so that you will never be thirsty again. I give you water that will spring up into what? Eternal life. And so we see here not only a city absent of all brokenness, that we will experience a city absent of sin and absent of the curse that was brought onto us in Genesis chapter 3, but we will also see in heaven a, a river flowing from the throne of God, full of life, full of the inexhaustible grace of God. But we also see a city that is not accursed. And not only do we see a river full of life flowing from the throne of God, but all, what else do we see in the city? In verse 2, it tells us that there will be the tree of life. This was the tree of life in the garden where God said, you can eat freely of this tree to Adam and Eve and you will live forever and what was the punishment? What was the curse brought on to humanity because of the fall, because of their disobedience, that they were banished from the garden and told that no longer will you be able to eat from the tree of life? Do you understand here in Revelation 22, John is telling us that the tree is back not only is the river of life back, but the tree of life is back. And what kind of tree is it that we'll experience in heaven? It's even greater than the tree that we saw in the garden. It says that it has 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. What's John trying to tell us here? It means there is a tree that is never dormant. 
that there will never be a dry season in heaven. There will never be a season of, of, of it being dormant, of there not being life being produced. It is this, the place, it is the kingdom of perpetual life. And it, every different month, it will produce a different type of fruit that will bring life and healing. And not only will they be able to eat the fruit, it says that it will be able to eat the leaves and that the leaves itself will be the healing of the nations. You see this tree of life bearing fruit in every season and the leaves being the healing of the nation, do not miss this, is the fulfillment of the promise of Genesis chapter 12. What did God say to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? That through you one will come and be a blessing to the all of the nations of the world. And one would eventually come through the line of Abraham and his name would be Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus would come and he would bring healing to the nations. And that is the beauty of this tree. The tree heals people and heals culture. That once and for all, the nations of the world would find where true healing and true restoration comes from. It seems too good to be true. But this is the heaven that we can expect. This is the heaven that we've longed for. It's not, it's not disconnected from the paradise and the garden of Eden that we were once promised but was taken from us because of the sin of our first parents. Revelation 22 is the restoration of Eden, but an even greater one. Do you understand the implications of this? A city with no brokenness a river teeming with life, a tree that bears fruit in every season and is never dormant. What is this telling us? It is telling us of the abundance of life in heaven that yes, we will even get to experience, but in an even greater fashion, all of the blessings that this life has to provide and has to offer that we should not think of heaven disconnected from all of the good and all of the blessings that God allows us to experience on this earth. Will there be animals in heaven? Absolutely. It says it will be overflowing with animals. That was the whole idea of, of the city full of life and the river full of life, that there will be an ecosystem like we've never had before, full of life, full of beauty, full of glory. Revelation 22 is a return to Eden, a return to the garden where all people will be healed and life will be overflowing from rivers and trees and from the very throne of God. First thing that we see here about heaven is it is paradise regained. But not only do we see paradise regained in Revelation 22, but we also see relationship reconciled. We see the, the most important relationship that you and I lost in the garden was the relationship with God. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that we experienced such sweet intimacy with God, that we walked with God and we talked with God, but of all the things that we lost in the garden, the most tragic thing we lost was our relationship and the intimacy with God. But Revelation 22 not only tells us that paradise will be regained, and restored, but our relationship will be reconciled and restored as well with God. What does it tell us? In verse 4, we read, 
that they will see the face of God. To see the face of God. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, no matter how close people got to God, no matter how important people were in the economy and the kingdom of God, that they could not see his face. Moses, the one who receives the law directly from God, what does it tell us in Exodus? That even Moses, for as close as he was to God, even Moses couldn't see the face of God. God says, I need to hide you in the, in the cleft of the rock to hide you from my face. Why? Because the glory of God was too profound. The holiness of God was too magnificent. The greatness of God was too spectacular for us to see in our present state. And so for the first time in history, humanity, those that are in Christ, will see the very face of God. Now what does it mean to have the face of God? All throughout the Old Testament... And all throughout the stories that we read in the New Testament, to have the face of God is to have the favor of God. Anytime you see in the Bible the face of God, it means to have the favor of God. You see, this is why every Jewish boy and girl crave this the most. It's the benediction we often end with. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his what? His face to shine upon you. It's what every Jewish boy and girl grew up longing for, the face of God. And whether you realize it or not, it's what you long for as well. Because the Bible says when you have the face of God, you have the favor of God. And that is exactly what we're given here in the new heaven and the new earth. It says that we will be able to see the face of God, which means we have the favor of God. You know, Often, I have people come into my office and they are full of regret and remorse. And as they are telling me stories of regret, they cannot even look in my eyes. And they often look down as they're telling me all of the things that they have done in their life. And as they look down, you can sense in their voice the great regret, but also the great shame. But when they look up into my eyes and they do not see a face full of judgment and condemnation, it's like they are transformed. To see a face not full of judgment and condemnation, it will transform their heart. It will transform your heart. And the promise of heaven is that we will look full of all of our regret, full of all of our shame, full of all of our judgment, full of all of the things we have done in our life. And the promise for those that are in Christ is that we will be able to look upon the face of God. And that face will not be full of condemnation and judgment, but we will receive the favor of God. There was a Civil War hero by the name of Richard Kirkland and he was young in battle and he did one heroic act after another. But finally, in the last battle that he would ever fight, he was shot. And as he was dying on the battlefield, his last words recorded were this, tell my pa I died right. Tell my pa I died right. What was he saying? 
tell my dad I did good. I want the favor of my dad. And we smile and we chuckle and we feel good about old stories like that. But deep down in every one of our souls is a longing to know that we have the favor of the Father, to have the favor of Dad. And the promise of heaven and the experience of heaven for you and I that are in Christ this morning is that you will have it, the very face of God. But not only will this relationship be reconciled through having the face of God, but we also read in that same verse, verse four, that his name will be on their foreheads. What does that mean? Our name is on our foreheads. Well, in the Old Testament, we read of the high priest. And the high priest in the kingdom of God had the name of Yahweh written on his forehead so that when the high priest entered the temple on the day of Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement, God, uh, the, the high priest would be reminded who you belong to who your identity is formed by. And what we're told here in verse four is that for all those who long for a name, all those that long for a, an identity, all those that go through life trying to prove to be somebody out of fear that they will eventually be a nobody, the promise for you is that you will have the very name of God upon you, that you will not have to go through life wondering who I belong to, that I belong to the very God who created the heavens of the earth. He is my God and my God belongs to me. It is the redemption of your identity. So we have the face of God and we have the name of God written on our forehead. We, we who lost our father and lost that intimate connection with God our Father will have restored and reconciled to us the relationship that we long for in the kingdom of heaven. So heaven will be paradise regained, the restoration of Eden. Heaven will be the reconciliation of the relationship that we lost. And then lastly, we see here in heaven, in Revelation 22, we see the entrance reopened. In verse 14, it tells us that we need something to enter in the city gates again. But we do see the gates reopened. But it says, blessed are all those, in verse 14, who wash their robes. Those will be the ones who get to enter in the gate. Now what's significant about this? Once again, to draw the parallel from the Garden of Eden, we are told there is one problem with the garden. In Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, we are told what? That the gate is closed and God will put a cherubim, an angel, at the entrance of the gate with a flaming sword going every direction, forever banning humanity, forever entering the gate again. And so we leave the garden in Genesis chapter 3 with a closed gate, with a flaming sword guarding the entrance in every direction. But here in Revelation 22, verse 14, it says, the entrance is open once again. And this is what has happened. And this is the beauty of the gospel. That although the entrance has been closed, John tells us that you can get back in with a washed robe. Where's the washed robe? Well, earlier in Revelation chapter seven, 
we are told that we will one day wear robes washed in what? In the blood of the Lamb. You see, the miracle of the gospel is this. Although Genesis chapter 3 tells us that the gate is closed and that there are swords going in every direction, banning humanity from re-entering paradise, there is one who came 2,000 years ago who said, I'm not like the first Adam, but I'm the second Adam. And I will go into that garden and I will go through the flaming swords and going through the flaming swords, I will lay down my life and it will be through going through the flaming swords, it will be through my sacrificial death and through my shed blood that will wash your robes forever and ever. You see, it was Jesus 2,000 years ago who said as the second Adam, I will go through the gate. I will go through the swords. I will lay down my life and pay the ultimate sacrifice so that you might live forever. You see, Revelation 22, verse 3 says, there is nothing accursed. Why? Because the Lamb of God is there. The Lamb of God is Jesus. The Lamb of God who was what? Slain for you and for me. The Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world became accursed, and in return, we get the robes of his righteousness. Listen to me. There is only one type of person in the kingdom of heaven. It is the person who has abandoned their righteousness. It is the person who has abandoned their goodness. It is the person who has abandoned their robes of self-performance and self-righteousness and says, I can only enter with the robes of the righteousness of another, the one who went through the swords and through his shed blood, my robes will be washed with the righteousness of the second Adam. This is the future for those who are in Christ this morning. I want to ask you a question. Could you imagine living a life as it was meant to be lived? Could you imagine experiencing this world, this creation, as it was meant to be experienced? Could you imagine, just for a second, encountering God as he was meant to be encountered? It can all be true. All of this can be true for those who are in Christ. Paradise regained, relationship reconciled, entrance granted. This is the experience of the kingdom of heaven for all those who believe. This morning, let me end with this. A few years ago, a journalist from a secular magazine wrote a cover story on a church in the Midwest that was exploding. And she wanted to find out what was happening in the life of this church. So here is this Jewish atheist journalist, I think it was GQ or a a magazine like that, um, that said, for six weeks, I'm gonna go visit this church. I don't believe in what they believe. I don't believe in what they preach. I don't believe in what they do. But for six weeks, she immersed herself into this congregation, this church that was exploding. And she wanted to find out what it was like. And so for six weeks, she went to this church. And at the end of the six weeks, she submitted the article 
And on the seventh week, she found herself back at home on a Sunday morning. And this is what she said, and I think we have the words here for the screen. This was her experience on the week she didn't go back to church. She said, I went to soccer games with my children and ordered a pizza. And at the end of the evening, I cleaned the kitchen and I bent down to place dinner plates into the dishwasher. And as I did, I hummed the church's music to myself. And then I straightened up suddenly. And I looked out the window into the dark nothing. And I realized that I missed it very much. I want to say a word to anyone here today that doesn't believe. I want to say a word to anyone who is listening to this message. Deep in your heart, you know you are missing something. You are homesick and you don't even know it. You long for a home like this. The home that was lost can be found. The home that was lost can be yours this morning. Heaven is the home you long for, the place of final restoration. I gotta be real honest with you. In the last four weeks, preaching on heaven, I have had a sense of urgency like never before. A sense of urgency that there is a real gate, but that gate is closing. And I want you to be in. There are not many paths to heaven. There are not many streams to heaven. There is one stream and one river and one gate. And I have felt an urgency the last four weeks like I have never felt in my life. So if there is a gate and that gate is closing, I want to ask you, are you inside? Are you in that gate of paradise regained? Are you inside that gate that is closing? I pray that you would rush, that you would rush to that gate this morning. I often hear people say, when I die, I'm going to the land of the dying. What a lie. This, my friends, is the land of the dying. For those that are in Christ, you will forever be in the land of the living living life fuller and with more expression and more joy than you've ever experienced before. This, my friends, is the land of the dying. And I can only hope and pray that you will be in the land of the living. There is a land of the living that is not in dispute. The only thing in dispute this morning is will you be there?